Kirana koto kato toa e korangnei ki to tātou tuanga Pacifica ni konei i matou i te region Tireni ko Aotea ko Koroe Hawkins. Coming up first. As of Monday this week, the FSM borders are now officially open. The Federated States of Micronesia opened their borders despite a COVID outbreak. Your Honor, my name is Ake Macho. I'm originally from Rarotonga, Titikaweka. We speak with a Cook Islands elder who's passionate about passing on her cultural knowledge to the next generation and... Yeah, look, it's a really exciting time for Tonga netball. The coach of Tonga's national netball team says they owe their success to a multi-year campaign. The Federated States of Micronesia has opened its international borders despite a worsening COVID-19 outbreak. So far, two states, Ponape and Kosrae, are dealing with COVID-19 community transmission, but Chuk and Yap are yet to report outbreaks. President David Panuelo over the weekend sought to reassure leaders from the two COVID-free states that measures would be put in place to protect citizens. However, he's ruled out a full COVID lockdown. I'm joined by our Marshall Islands correspondent, Gif Johnson, who's been keeping a close eye on things in neighbouring FSM. Kia ora, Gif. Tell us more about the situation. Well, as of Monday this week, the FSM borders are now officially open. And this is actually by law. The Federated States of Micronesia Congress passed a law establishing August 1 as the official reopening date after two and a half years of border closure. And so the president then is has uh, uh, done a, uh, President David Panuelo did a, a, a speech to the nation. It was pre-recorded and broadcast, uh, just talking about the whole situation. And the, the really interesting thing is, is because the Federated States of Micronesia is four states, so you have two states that now have COVID running wild, right? Kosrae and Ponpe, the capital, and two of the states, Chuk and Yap, which are still COVID free. So they're really nervous about border opening. And so it's, it's complicated, but the fact is it's a law, right? It's a law mandating August 1 opens. It's not a decree that somebody can just go, well, we made a declaration, let's change it. And so that's what the president said, because in response to, to the announcement this past weekend that Monday this week they were opening the borders, the Chuk governor said, well, he, he wanted, he requested a delay until maybe November when they think their hospital renovations will be done so that they're at full capacity for hospital services. And, but, you know, November, who knows when the hospital would actually be done. But, but President Panuelo essentially said, we can't do that because it's the law and the president can't override the law. So, What's taken place then in the several days after this is a big negotiation, the president and his cabinet meeting, and then responding to the Chuk governor, the Chuk governor coming back. And, and what, they've, what they've come to agree on seems like that Chuk is going to maintain a two-week quarantine in country, right? The, no quarantine coming in. I mean, no quarantine outside. You just have to test negative and have be 
vac have vaccines and all that. Uh, but two weeks coming into Chuuk and also limiting the number of flights this month. So they, they're, you know, they're working out dates. Okay, we'll have a flight on this date and this date and so many passengers. So, so it seems like Chuuk is getting some accommodation in all of this in their hope <laughs> to stay COVID free for a little longer. But I mean, in terms of Pohnpei and Kwasrai, I mean, it's, this is, they've confirmed that it's the BA5 variant and it's just like wildfire. And I remember this outbreak officially got started on July 19, right? Like the wave began rising, but clearly COVID was moving in the community some weeks before this, before it was recognized. I mean, it had to be, right? You don't just suddenly go from zero to 200 cases, three, four, 500 cases in, in a day or two. Um, but in Kwesrai, their testing, <laughs> they were at a 75% positive rate of people being tested. Now you think about that, like in, in New Zealand or Australia or US, if you've got like a 10% or 15% rate, you go, oh, my God, you know, the whole, you know, it's like, it's a crisis, right? When <laughs> they were running, I mean, it's not a joke, but it's just like, it shows you small community, how COVID spreads and everybody lives together. You can't quarantine. I mean, yeah, you can tell people stay at home, but they live with 10 people, right? So it's not like you could, you know, like, Maybe in New Zealand, you know, you have an apartment and you can hibernate for a couple of weeks. But in the Pacific Islands, you know, everybody, big houses, big families. It's like one person gets it, 10 people get it. And it's rude it's to just, tell people to go away as well. Yeah, how, you, how can you say, sorry, sorry, we're in isolation here, you know, it's so, so that's complicated. And the numbers are kind of astounding, really, like in Pompey, you figure this is a, uh, island of about 20,000 people. And as of July 31, uh, they already had uh, 5,000, over 4,000 confirmed cases in Ponte. So, I mean, you're talking what, you know, 20% of the population. And, and if, if you've got confirmed, I mean, multiply it times four or five of what's really the situation. Uh, now, the, the unfortunate side of this is that the number of deaths have now started to multiply, which is, you know, unfortunately, there's a lag time between these first cases hitting and seeing, you know, the, the really serious problems. So they were at one or two early on. This is July 19. It started. But as of yesterday, uh, they report nine deaths, eight in Pohnpei and one in Koshrai. Um, and quite a lot of people, you know, hospitalized. I mean, it's relative, relatively small numbers still, you know, it's like a couple dozen people maybe. Um, but the, you know, the death toll is rising. We hope not, you know, a lot further. Um, but that's, that's how this thing plays out in, in our islands. And I, what I can say is that in the Marshall Islands, people are really watching how this is playing out, not only how it's playing out, but they're looking at the response of the health authorities, 
and how it works because just like when Palau had its outbreak in January, February, how it played out was really helpful to, I mean, the, how the response was from the Ministry of Health, what they learned, like what they found they did wrong at the outset, how they reinvented their system to address it has really helped to inform health authorities here uh, who are already setting up community uh, plans for these uh, test and treat centers out in like community gymnasiums where you can away from the hospital. It's like a triage situation where you, you identify people out there, treat them, vaccinate them. And for the really sick people, then you take them into hospital, but you don't allow people to just overwhelm your hospital. Cook Island's elders are being celebrated for their invaluable knowledge as part of this week's Epitoma Otereo Maori Kukiarani or Cook Island's Language Week celebrations in Aotearoa. Rotorua Cook Island's Community Secretary, Tere Piwa, says language and art in the form of Te Waiwai are intertwined in her vibrant and colourful culture. She says her mum, Ake Mitchell, has just celebrated being 73 years young, her way teaching the art of Te Waiwai, making while also celebrating her language. Lydia Lewis spoke with Ake Mitchell, described as a blessing to her family and the wider community. Your Honour, my name is Ake Mitchell. I'm originally from Rarotonga, Titikaweka, born and raised in the Cook Island, and then migrated to New Zealand with my family. Which, what year did you migrate to New Zealand? Uh, I came in 1973. And first of all, um, I am recording now. To kick off the interview, can you tell me a little bit about your family and... Um, how language was used, any um, issues in the beginning? Did you have to learn English? What was that like? Uh, okay, when I was born, brought up in Rarotonga, we speak our Cook Island language. And all my families, my sisters and brothers, we speak Cook Island fluency in the Cook Islands, but as we go to school, we have to speak English, if we speak Cook Island, they will put us on detention to because of our language that being spoken in, in the school. We are not allowed to do that, only English. And compared with now, the re, seeing the revitalization and young people being able to speak it, what, how does that make you feel, seeing the, the changes? Well, as I... Um, you know, have my children, and then I realized that the, the Cook Island, in my language, is very important. But because we in New Zealand and born, the children were born here, so we thought then English is most important. But the, as years go past, uh, we, but me and my husband speak Cook Island in, 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 in the homes. But the, the children is listening, but we 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 didn't even try to encourage them to speak Cook Island. We thought, well, English, we came here, so they have to speak English to learn more about it. But uh, I know our language is most important too. That's where I was brought up, from the Cook Islands to New Zealand. Is that right? <laughs> 
Beautiful. And also a very happy birthday to you. I hear that um, you've just celebrated your birthday and you decided <laughs> to teach, uh, teach people um, a very special craft that you, that you know and you were taught by your mother, T. Vai Vai, yes. instead mm. of going out for dinner. Tell me a bit about that celebration. Uh, oh, well, because I, I was, uh, my mum been teaching me since I was 15 year old. And for sewing, TYY, and, and pillow slips, and cushion, and all that. And then it stays in me. And I just love doing that. And I just wanted then, when I came here, I just want to share it out. I've been sharing it to, to the Cook Island community a few years back. And they learned, and they were happy. And then I thought the young ones, uh, in in Rotorua, Cook Island, uh, how to do the TYY, mainly how to hold the needle to stitch. And I explained to them this is very important because you've done it yourself. you finish a TYY. You, you know, I encourage them to, to learn. And even though now I always ask them, if you want to learn, come to me. I will teach you how to do this to sew for your for you, for your beautiful home when you get married. can share it to your children. What would you like, um, what message do you have to your grandchildren and future generations around culture and language and the importance of preserving um, these beautiful art forms as well? Oh, I just uh, wanted to pass to them to hold on, to, to be in the, in the community so they will learn the language and also the culture, because it's good to to learn, so they can pass over to the next generation. I just want them to uh, not to do it, but to keep on doing it to learn, to learn from the old people like us, so that it will stay with them for for a long time. Last month, the Tonga National Netball team qualified for next year's Netball World Cup in South Africa with a clean sweep of their Oceania opponents, ending their final match with a 70 goals to 43 victory over the Cook Islands in Suva. It's the first time Tonga have ever qualified for the global tournament. Coach Jaqua Poriamakia Simpson says their success was years in the making and a big step forward for women's sport in the kingdom. She spoke with RNZ Pacific reporter Finau Punua about the campaign. Yeah, look, it's a really exciting time for Tonga Netball. It's the first time that we have uh, qualified for a World Cup, so it's history-making for us. Look, it wasn't a surprise. We came out of uh, the Pacific Gold Series in March undefeated. I think the surprise was for us was the ease in which we had gone through the qualifiers undefeated, but it was certainly the goal. So from that perspective, for us, it was not surprising. So this side in Fiji, we had four debutantes. It's not the first time we had met, though. We had met all but one player. So we had a training camp in June, um, which is where we regrouped. Uh, and, yes, certainly there were some new players added to our team from that June camp. So although, you know, we definitely had players that were new to us, we also had a foundation of a handful that have been with us for a short time. In the past, Tonga Netball has really struggled I know you said that you weren't surprised by the result, but a lot of people are. What makes this team different? Yeah, look, I think it's been a three-year plan for us. 
Um, so it didn't come out of the blue. Um, so I've been the head coach of this program for three years and there was an enormous commitment from Tonga Netball as an organisation um, to support me and the team to get the best team we could together to represent Tonga. And we've, we've built, you know, so our, our results from three years ago um, at Pacific Games, we won a silver medal and we only lost that grand final by one goal. And then we just continued to build and find talent, um, you know, from our players uh, that have Tongan heritage. Um, and, you know, we, we knew they were out there and have created a space where they want to represent their country. Um, and it's look, it's not surprising from us because it has been coming over a period of time. It wasn't out of the blue. Um, you know, it has taken us three years to get to this point, and we're pleased that we were able to do that. Another great thing about this this win is Tongan spotting achievement has been male-dominated with the rugby league and the rugby union, but now we have a women's team that's qualified for this World Cup. Do you think this is a landmark thing for women's sport in Tonga? It absolutely is, but I think it, it started with the silver medal from Pacific Games three years ago, and we've noticed the increase in participation. Um, and, and you're right, it is definitely a landmark moment for us um, bringing women's sport to the forefront um, in a, in a male-dominated space uh, in Tonga. And we're really excited about that. Um, and I think some of the success from our team doesn't come from them just being really talented netballers, but they are incredible women that are you know, outstanding ambassadors for other young women. Um, and you know, if you dream something, it can happen. Um, and that's exciting for us is that it's not just about sport. It's about empowering um, young ladies, and that's, that's really exciting. Could you talk about the team, uh, these girls, and who they are and, and, and what makes them so special? Yeah, so we, our, our players come from seven different cities, uh, and I, yeah, I think like a lot of international teams or national teams, um, you don't get to spend a lot of time together. Um, so there, there is no doubt a connection that they have to each other that is undeniable, and I think that's where a lot of their success comes from, you know, is that a, a connected team is a dangerous team, someone once said to me. Uh, and that is definitely what we have in this group of women. Um, there is something really, really special about their relationships um, and their commitment to you know, their country and their families, um, who they're playing for and why they're doing that. And that is something that is really, really powerful. Um, and they are really, really proud. You know, Tonga has, there've been um, a lot of struggles there this year. Um, and there have been a lot of people that have been affected and our girls found strength in that instead of a sadness. Um, and they are proud and honoured to represent Tonga and it was just incredible. They created something special um, and it's quite outstanding what they've achieved. With the World Cup, what are the preparations now? What's um, the next step? So we, we, we will regroup. The starting point was actually reviewing the campaign that we've just come out of. So what we did well, what we can do better and what we need to do differently. Uh, we have some competitions. We have an, another one in Australia this year. Uh, and then we will look at what uh, competitions uh, and match play we can get in next year in preparation for our road to South Africa. Um, and it's, you know, it's an exciting time. Unfortunately, we don't really get too much rest. Uh, that review process will start for us next week. Uh, and we've got 12 months before the World Cup to be ready and prepared to be able to put our best foot forward. 
That brings us to the end of Pacific Waves for today. Remember, you can download us free to your device from Spotify, iHeart, Apple Podcasts. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can also find us. Meitaki, 